We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Speaking of basketball gold, I'm just going to assume that's what our next guest has been called throughout his entire prestigious media career, NBA on TNT, NBA TV, and to boot, just a really nice guy, the great Jared Greenberg on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Jared, welcome to the show. Bronze, bronze, not gold. Mm. Bronze is, is all I'm capable of. Basketball bronze kind of sounds I'm awesome. Basketball silver. <laughs> I got the basketball, at least you tried. Oh, okay. Yeah, participation trophy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Well, it, it it looks the same. It just yeah. says something different at the bottom. Uh, Jared, a lot of panic in Cavs Nation. Uh, well, apparently the Cavs lost to the Celtics last night. That's kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Are the Cavs wasting a season on? Uh, well, I'll, t- I'll set it up though. Uh, you I mean, set it up there, Mister. Okay, Cavs all right, Jared. What's up, buddy? So Bye. my whole take to start the show has been that I feel like the Cavaliers this season are are selling us a bill of goods that. This is kind of like a trial year where they just got, you know, Donovan Mitchell, they've got Garland, they got this young core. But I feel like going into the season prior to the Mitchell trade, this was like a six seed type of team. And once they got Mitchell, like my expectations went from like a six seed to a, hey, maybe they could be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like they're that talented. And yet the team's kind of telling us, you know, hey, we got these young guys. They've never been to the playoffs. And I just feel like I don't want them to waste this year because they are talented enough. But just because they haven't been there, to me, it's not an excuse for them not to have expectations. No, I think, I think that's fair. Um, I, you know, from, from a 30,000 feet standpoint, I, I was a little um, pessimistic about the Cavs coming in just because they were so young and they needed to mesh. And when you insert a player like Donovan Mitchell, who demands the ball and as many shots as he does, I thought it would take a little longer to gel. So to me, it was a massive surprise when they got off to the start that they got off to, uh, that they were able to compete with some of these better teams on a night-in, night-out basis. Um, you know, we can get into it, but I think I think Kobe Altman's done an amazing job, a really unique job, which I don't understand why more teams don't do it, of blending – young and experienced players with not just veterans, but guys who have massive experience that are expected to play significant roles on this team. Um, so I like the roster composition, but like I, we, I'm sure we've talked about this in the past guys. The NBA has proven time and time again, you need to go through a bunch of adversity. You need to go through a bunch of stuff that sucks before you find success. 
look at look at the, the Boston Celtics, right? For as consistently good and competitive as they have been over the last decade since trading away Garnett, Paul Pierce, uh, and that trio, uh, and getting rid of Rondo, like they still have maintained a certain level of success, but have, have not been able to win at all. And I think the best thing that may have happened to the future of the Boston Celtics in the next three to five years is the fact that they lost in the finals last year because it proved to everyone they are good enough to be at that level, but they just needed one more time of, of a little adversity to finally get all their crap together. And while I'm not trying to tell you that the Cavs you know, shouldn't have an expectation to at least make it to the second round of the playoffs, I think that because of the fact that they've got such a long runway with this group, Donovan's under contract through 25-26. Garland's under contract through 26-27. Uh, Mobley is still on his rookie, rookie deal. Like you, Jared Allen has a long-term deal. You, you've got a core that's not going anywhere for a while. The world is not going to end if the Cavaliers don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. So I think that leads us to where we are because uh, I – I think there there are scenarios I can draw up where I'll say it felt like you wasted a year, right? Um, some of that's on Donovan's future. Some of that's on how they perform in the playoffs. But like to this point, I just can't overreact to a Boston game and wonder if the sky is falling. No. So what no. should the bar? How, where do we set the bar this year, whether it's the regular season bar or the postseason bar for the Cavaliers' success? Yeah, and first of all, just to, to make a point about last night, like you've got to put it, within the certain context of what last night was. You, you had a Celtics team who was just embarrassed by the Knicks um, the game before, right? Like, they came in with a certain motivation of champions don't lose two in a row to teams that are trying to prove themselves uh, on a measuring bar that you currently hold, right? Like, it, 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 last night does not, is not a signature moment, good or bad, for, for, for the Cavaliers. And I think it just goes to prove how good the Celtics are. And I think it also shows the separation between the top tier of the East and the middle tier. And that's Milwaukee and Boston. And then there is Philadelphia, Cleveland, New York, right? Like that's, that's, there's a clear distinction between those two. But in terms of the season, I think the Cavaliers, based on the year they've had, in order to take a step in the right direction that makes you feel really good about going into next season, again, assuming the entire team comes back, and who knows, Colby Altman's got a ton of, tons of chips to play this summer to, to add a piece or two, um, I think you have to get out of the first round of the playoffs, and then presumably you will be facing either Milwaukee or Boston in the second round, and that's okay if you can't beat them. Now, you don't want to get swept by those teams. You want to prove that you can compete. You know, you lose that series in, in six or seven games. You should feel really good being a Cavs fan going into next year. Jared Greenberg, NBA on TNT, NBA TV on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. So you're, you're probably, unless you kind of fall out of the, 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 the top uh, five or six here, you're probably not going to face Milwaukee or Boston in the first round. So right. your, your most likely teams you're going to face the Knicks, the Nets, the Heat, yeah. Maybe the Hawks, if they get it together. Of those four teams, what are the teams the Cavs should really want to avoid in a first-round series? That's an interesting one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to get a this, – this Nets team has been abysmal the last few games, and, and the one thing I thought that they would be able to do with the Kyrie and KD trades, I thought they'd be able to defend. Like, um, they throw – 
five of the better individual defenders you're going to see on the court at the same time, and they are just been terrible. Um, the Knicks are interesting to me in that, like, I, I've been totally surprised in a, in a good way by how they performed this year. I didn't think they would be this good. I didn't think Jalen Brunson was this capable of, of making that much of a difference in, in and outside of the locker room. I just don't know if the Knicks, the way they play and the way they're winning games, if you can say, ah, they're really going to scare somebody. The, the team that has to scare you, um, and, if, and, 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 and if I'm a fan of this team, I'm scared in, in both directions, is the Philadelphia 76ers. Because you just don't know who you're going to get night in, night out basis. Um, you know, Embiid, again, dealing with another injury in and out of the lineup the last week. Um, looks like he may play tonight, but we'll see. Um, and, and he's got a history of, of getting hurt in the, in, in the playoffs. The one thing I'm always encouraged about, guys, if, if, if Jared Allen has to go up against Joel Embiid, I am convinced the moment in time that made Jared Allen the player he is today was the series when he was on the Nets, and he got his butt and his brain beat in by Joel Embiid in the first round of the playoffs a few years ago. To me, that signaled to him how much better he needed to be and how much stronger he needed to get. I would be excited if I'm a Cavs fan to see what Jared Allen could do in another opportunity head-to-head with Embiid in the playoffs. Jared, I'm going to bring you into another Donnie Brook we've been having here. This uh, one, this one's got this is a powder keg, so tread lightly, friend. Okay, so we we asked. Uh, well, Nick and I had this conversation on Monday. We asked Rick Buecher about it. He actually went a different direction than I or Nick. Um, so let me ask you: for the Cavaliers to be a championship caliber team, who has to be the better player, Evan Mobley or Donovan Mitchell or somebody else? Because Nick Nick took Mobley, I took Mitchell. I'm just oh, well, you didn't have to no, editorialize it because he might like you more than okay, me. Okay, well, he does like me more than you. Ouch. <laughs> I don't I don't like either of you. Oh, that's um, fair. <laughs> that's bullcrap, Jared. Come on. <laughs> um, so I think in in the career arc of a player, I think right now, if you had to put a gun to my head, I would say Evan Mobley has a higher potential ceiling than Donovan Mitchell at some point in his career. Let him finish. <laughs> I don't know that he's there this year, if that happens this year, if he's ready for that this year. Um, you know, the thing that, that, that scared me about Donovan Mitchell coming to the Cavaliers was his shot selection and playmaking decision-making with Utah. He, at least through the first part of the season, really seemed consciously be a smarter player on the court than he ever was at any time in Utah. And maybe, maybe you can argue that in terms of offensive firepower, he never had a guy like Garland on his team or options like, like Mobley and some of the different guys that they throw out there with him. Um, I would think this year, just because of the edge that the Cavs have in that front line over most teams they're going to face in the playoffs, I would, I would say Mobley would have to be the better player because you know you know what the basement is for Donovan Mitchell in a playoff series. You know you're getting, at worst, 25 points a game. Um, I, I, would need Ev, I would need Evan Mobley to be the better player uh, if, if the Cavs are going to have a chance. Well, just so you know, Jared, Twitter agrees with you as we put a Twitter poll mm. up uh, earlier this wow. week. So, uh, Well, first off, it was 48%. Uh, who won? 
West. Uh, good transition. I mean, it was darn good. It was darn good, but um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Charlotte, uh, they stink. Um, yeah, they're fair. not good. Yeah, Nick lived thing. in Charlotte yeah. for four years. Yeah. <laughs> not not good, uh, especially without Lamelo Ball. Um, you know, I I am so I have no idea what's going to happen in the postseason. I, I just you know they should should Phoenix come out? Yeah, but you know there's what twenty games left. You have no idea of the 20 how many you're actually going to get with Booker, Durant, and Chris Paul. Um, and I, I just think there's this roll of the dice thing that's happening in the NBA now, which speaks to a larger issue of, of not just load management, but how you know, science has taken over the, the world of professional basketball. And, and I think it's not for the better because there's absolutely zero data to back it up. And there's going to be a handful of teams that think they have a legitimate shot to win an NBA title this year that are going into the, the first round of the playoffs playing their first game on whatever, you know, April 18th or whatever it's going to be. And they literally have not seen a large enough sample size of who they are to truly have an identity. And I think it's a scary problem for a lot of franchises around the NBA. All right, we got to get to an old friend here in Cleveland. Uh, LeBron, he's got a boo-boo, another boo-boo. Feels yeah. like there's always something yeah. going on in L.A. How concerned yeah. should the Lakers be about their ability to compete over the next few years considering – LeBron's fragility over the last couple of years, and obviously uh, the 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 uh, the China himself, Anthony Davis. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, if I'm a Laker fan, Anthony Davis would worry more than LeBron, uh, just because like LeBron has, and I'm not going to say like Anthony Davis doesn't have legitimate injuries, but but like LeBron has the substantive injuries that we see, they keep him out for. Uh, you know, a, a period of time, and then we move on from it. Um, Anthony Davis, it's constantly something is going on. Uh, and, and you know, I don't know if you guys saw, I had a report on TNT doing the Laker game on Tuesday night that the Lakers coaching staff expressed to me that not only do they expect Anthony Davis to play on Wednesday night in the second half of the back-to-back, they anticipated him playing, which would have been the first back-to-back he would have played in since uh, the first week of November. And especially without LeBron back, they figured he should be able to be up to that task. Now, even without him, they lost the game. But that, that to me, is a bigger issue. That Anthony Davis, at this point, with, with the weight of the world on his shoulders with that franchise, cannot compete in a back-to-back situation. Um, in terms of, of the, the worry of the Lakers, I mean, here's the number for you. Uh, Ten teams in the West right now that are currently – four through 13 battling battling for seven spots and they are all separated by five games in the loss column that number shrinks if you go four through 10 which is just three games in the loss column so i think that if i'm a laker fan it's not only where you have to climb it's who you have to climb over and the fact that you at the very now listen let's be clear about this report from lebron today they said and i i reported this Tuesday night, it's a guess how long LeBron is going to be out. The update we got today is LeBron will be reassessed in three weeks. And as we know in the NBA, after not playing basketball for three weeks, 
nobody, particularly with a, a lower body, a foot injury, after that time gets reassessed and say, all right, I'm, the next night you're on the court. So at minimum, he's going to miss 11 games. And there is, after that three-week mark, only two weeks left in the regular season, right? We are under five weeks left in the regular season. So I would be very skeptical. Now, I will say this. The Lakers are much more prepared for these situations post-trade deadline than they were pre-trade deadline. So that would give me a glimmer of hope. But if Anthony Davis cannot play in back-to-backs or cannot be the Superman that he was in November and December, then this team has no shot. So with that, if the Lakers were to try to do something uh, crazy this offseason to try to restack the deck and maybe get a different superstar balance there, who do you think has better trade value right now, LeBron James or Anthony Davis? That's an interesting one. It depends on what team he's going to, right? Like, is there a team that just just wants the marketability of LeBron James? Or is there a team that's looking at the uh, physical, tangible upside of Anthony Davis um, helping us win a championship like he did in 2020 for the Lakers? Um, Because I don't think at this stage of his career, with the toll of 82 games plus four rounds of the playoffs, I don't think LeBron James can be the best player on a championship team. I think he needs a guy like we saw Anthony Davis back in 2020 in the bubble to be able to take the defense and offensive responsibility a little bit off of LeBron. That's not to say he can't be the second best player. And this has just to be clear, Cleveland, this has nothing to do about his career resume. It's just moving forward. Um, I, I would say Anthony Davis from a tangible basketball standpoint would probably get you back more in return than LeBron, unless it's a team who is so desperate to sell tickets and jerseys that they would give up their entire um, arena to, to get LeBron James in, in town. Follow this man on the Twitter machine, at Jared S. Greenberg. Uh, Jared, we appreciate your time and the fact that you yeah. agreed with me because you are, in fact, Well, he's a better of friend that. of mine. I mean, he agreed with me. <laughs> he agreed with me, so maybe not. Just saying. Jared, great stuff, buddy. Thanks, buddy. I just I need some beers next time we're in Cleveland. I got right. you, buddy. Mm. I uh, I will get you more beers. Thank you. I got Jared, all the beers. Uh, I will buy a bar. Jared Greenberg <laughs> on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Yesterday, one yeah. of the things that harshed our our our, uh, our mellow in the studio, our brotherhood, challenged our brotherhood, was my fury at Kevin Stefanski and him saying that he's going to call plays again. And and it's less about that I have a problem with him as a play caller, <laughs> and more that I still wonder whether it's it's distracting from him being a better head coach. And it and you add to it, it's not even that I wanted him to just say, yep, here's here's Bob from accounting. Bob is now the play caller. And it was more, I wanted to see him give serious thought to the idea. And I think with the staff moves, it's pretty – and the fact that we haven't heard him interview any legitimate play-calling candidates. He just hired a guy he used to work with in Minnesota – it's pretty apparent that he was that was not even on his radar. That when he was asked about that, he gave kind of a flippant answer and then never really thought about play calling after that. So we had Albert Breer on yesterday, live from Indianapolis, and hopefully Albert's up now. <laughs> it's those late Indianapolis nights just kick your ass. He sounded terrible yesterday. Uh, he's going to sound even worse today. We should be glad that we had him on yesterday because today he might sound like Andy Roth sounds this week. Wait, he's coming back again today? Who? Albert? I was, I was saying we should be glad we had him oh. on yesterday. That okay. was the point. Oh, understood. But Albert was on. What time's he coming on? And 
he kind of he kind of pitched why he thinks it makes sense for Stefanski to remain the play caller. I don't know how seriously Kevin considered giving up play calling, but I do think that you know he was always going to be really involved on in that side of the ball this particular offseason because I think there is a, a recognition that maybe the traditional like Gary Kubiak-style offense that they've run over Kevin's first three years in Cleveland isn't a perfect fit for Deshaun. You know? And so I think a lot of the work is going to be done this offseason to try to create an offense that's perfect for Deshaun. It would have been a little harder to do it last year, of course, because you were just getting to know Deshaun and you knew he was going to be out for the first first 12 games you know this time they're locked in with him they know he's going to be their quarterback in week one and they know who he is as a player and they've had him in the building for a while now so you know I think what you're going to see is the Browns really working hard to put in different elements of what Deshaun's been good at over the course of his career both in college and the pros and you'll see him in the gun more I think you'll see some more spread concepts and I think Kevin was always going to be a huge part of doing that so it makes sense that like if you're going to go through that level of change and he's going to be that involved on the ground floor that he would at least start as a play caller if that's the real line of thinking from the Cleveland Browns we didn't know Deshaun Watson wasn't a fit for the Kevin Stefanski Minnesota offense the Gary Kubiak offense if that's the real honest to God thought process in Berea then everything you worry about with the Cleveland Cavaliers we should be saying about the Cleveland Browns because they wasted a year of all of our times while telling us they thought they could be good, they wasted. If you didn't realize, I said it all last year. I said they're punting on this season. I said this is going to be a wasted year. Yeah, but the and po- they they proved it. But the point is, I'm comfortable with the year was a wasted year because Deshaun only played six games. Comfortable with that. If you okay. pr- if you effectively wasted the year because you didn't align with the right backup that would be a seamless transition. And by the way, where was Kevin? didn't Kevin Svansky say there's no difference in the offense between Jacoby Brissett and Deshaun Watson? Well, he says that, but I, clearly everybody knew that it was the opposite. Well, no. I think the problem is Maybe there he, really wasn't a difference he, he, in the offense. Well, The difference is they were like, hey, I got this Maserati, but I'm going to go ahead and drive it like a Honda Civic. Use a better car. The Maserati? I don't like Maseratis. All right, what's the the thing you were talking about? How about go with Ferrari? All right, I got a Ferrari. There you go. And I'm going to drive it like a 1986 Toyota Camry that doesn't have brakes. Sorry, Jacoby. That tracks. Like, I, this is infuriating to me that, like, who's buying this this line from the Cleveland Browns? Because if it's Jimmy Haslam, I've act, I will actually lose more faith in Jimmy Haslam. I'm okay with things not going the way we want it to. I'm okay with there being realities you have to deal with, but don't insult everybody's intelligence by you had four years of Deshaun Watson on the field to know he was good at. The idea that you were like, well, we're going to let Jacoby play for 11 games, and then we're going to let Deshaun play in this offense, and we're just it's just going to be the offense that we've run forever, and see just see how it goes. I'm sorry, that's stupid. The NFL, I, I've just and it, I've just started to realize that people in the NFL really believe owners when they say, "Oh, we got you for five years." It doesn't happen. Like, what are you doing? And to further this, if you knew that Deshaun might not fit the offense, or rather that there was going to be a huge gap between how you played with Jacoby and how you probably should play to get the best out of Deshaun, why was Jacoby the backup? Because stylistically, because that was something Kevin said the other day. Kevin said at the Combine, he was like, well, it's tough to do a 180 when you go from Jacoby to Deshaun. 
Really, Haas? Because in August, you said there was no difference in the offense. That's true. And also, it's not like Jacoby was the backup for Baker. They cut Case Keenum so they could sign Jacoby. And I love Jacoby. I love what he meant to this team. I'll be honest with you. I think every time we talk about Jacoby, we should talk about other guys that we've loved that haven't haven't won anything here in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, he like, was a great J- dude. Jacoby? Remix. It took a minute to spit it out. Jacoby Brissett should be in the category of McNown. And Brian Hoyer. And Brian Hoyer. You did diddly squat. And some of the guys that we've loved yep. throughout the years. Who haven't won anything, yeah, and it, but they, and it but, wasn't really their but they're fault. they're likable, and it wasn't yep. their fault. Yep. And in the right situation, maybe you could have won more with them. So that's how I uh, I, yeah. I love Jacoby. But if, he, if stylistically you had to cater the offense to him, and that allowed you to your backup – you catered, guys. They thought Jacoby was going to start for six games, and they catered an offense to him instead of the starting quarterback. I thought these guys were supposed to be smart. I thought they, I mean. Well, these are Ivy Leaguers. They're Ivy Leaguers, and I'm not, I, listen, I don't look down on you because you're from the Ivy League. Well, you're from the Ivy League. I am. I went to Bowling Green. There's Ivy on the walls. Check it. But this is the dumbest friggin' thing I've ever heard. Well, he didn't, Deshaun doesn't fit the offense. Then it's not, the, then it's not the offense you should run. And you damn sure shouldn't get a backup who doesn't do the same things so that you have to fit your Maserati, what was the, the Porsche? Ferrari into the 1986 rusted out bleep box of a Toyota Camry. We love Toyotas. I I love Toyotas. I just not 1986 Toyota Camrys. Love Nissans. They last forever. I love all cars, especially the ones. Just not Maseratis. Just not Maseratis, especially not Maseratis. But like, it just feels like. Range Rovers too. It feels like there were separate decisions made that didn't have the same through line of thought and intelligence. Yeah. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out how people this smart can can walk through the logic and not be like, well, if he's gone for... Because think about this. What would the curve have looked like if you got Deshaun back in week seven and you were trying to fit him in Jacoby Brissett's offense? Does that even make sense? Does it make sense with less time that you would build the offense around Jacoby, which you knew you would have to do if he was going to start the season and the first six games of it? No. And and listen, Marcus Mariota went to Atlanta, so maybe that was your guy. But there are players who who more fit the 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 spread offense, which is really what you should be running with Deshaun. There are players who fit that that are available every single year. They should be running what he ran in college. Or something along those lines, right? I mean, that's like you look at the offense of the Philadelphia Eagles or hell, even the, the Chiefs, both teams that were in the Super Bowl. Both of those teams run offenses that Deshaun Watson fits into, right? Mm-hmm. And the Browns didn't. Or just find the backup that fits the same offense. Well, they, Is they that, I mean, I mean, I mean, like you couldn't have two polar opposites than Brissett and Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Like, unless you like brought Bernie Kosar out of retirement, like and and again, Jacoby did his job. But if Jacoby doing his job at the best level really hurts your ability to get the best out of Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. 
then what were you thinking? 216-578-0092. So Albert Breer says that that one of the lines of thinking of Kevin Stefanski retaining play calling is that last year they were fitting him into the Minnesota offense instead of building it around him. For me, it's one, why did you do that? And two, why did you have to do that? And why you had to do that was because your backup quarterback didn't run the same style of offense as your starting quarterback, which is insane to me. Does that line of thinking that you heard from Albert, if that's the Browns' line of thinking, does that hold water for you? We're reacting to what Albert Breer had to say on yesterday's show about you know one of the lines of thinking with Kevin Stefanski's uh, retaining the play calling is that last year you know, he couldn't really call plays for Deshaun Watson because he was he was busy calling the same system he had called uh, for the first two years he was here, the, the system he kind of grew up in in Minnesota, the Gary Kubiak system, and that Deshaun really didn't fit into that. And I just, I continue to come back to when you have an offseason to plan It didn't matter whether Deshaun was going to play 11 games, 6 games, 2 games, 15 games. Whether the I I can get behind the idea that winning wasn't the focal point of last year. I can get behind that, you know, getting the most out of Deshaun would be the focal point. Well, if or or figuring out what you had in Deshaun. But if that if that's the case, then all of a sudden it casts into light, why did you specifically bring in Jacoby Brissett. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it was because of his leadership abilities. Um, I don't need my quarterback into Sean Watson to have a leader. He is the leader. That's the reason why you traded for him. And it just, mm-hmm. it it seems like every time we talk about the Browns, that these are really intelligent people who occasionally do things that feel counterintuitive. And maybe it'd be different if we got better explanations from them. I know, uh, you know, Mr. Glib, Kevin Stefanski will never give us anything, and that's okay. That's his prerogative. But, like, and listen, if they had won, it wouldn't matter. We wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Because winning is the ultimate cure-all. They didn't win, and the reason they didn't win was because of what a rock, or at least the, the reason why they fell all the way out of a, of a playoff spot is, is that you tried to... You, you switch quarterbacks who are polar opposites 12 games into the season. And it, and it just, it's starting to irritate me that these guys really believe. Because here's the thing. I get it. You want to believe you have all the time in the world. Oh, I don't feel pressure. Feel pressure. It's the NFL. Right? I'm sure that Hugh Jackson didn't feel pressure for a little while. I'm sure that Mike Pettin didn't feel pressure for a little while. I'm sure Romeo Cornell didn't feel, I've seen guys feel like they got all the time in the world. No. It catches up with you quick in the NFL, and you've got to have a faster play clock than the owner does. That was the whole point of the Deshaun trade. We're gonna we're gonna jump. They sped it up, yeah. We're gonna speed ahead. Well, then say we're gonna speed ahead, and now we're gonna slow play it. Okay, that or or do things that might make us slow play it is nonsensical to me. It's a waste of time. You wasted everybody's time, including your own, and you moved yourself one step closer to getting fired. If you're Kevin Stefanski. And who knows? And here's the other thing. I, and in fairness to Kevin Stefanski, I don't know who chose Jacoby Brissett. 
Like, I don't know Jacoby Brissett. Or rather, I don't know Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry are in lockstep when bringing in talent because I don't even know the pieces fit together. As we saw, or, and when I'm saying pieces, this is more of a personality thing. Mm -hmm. Like, Jadavian Clowney sure as hell did not fit what you want out of your locker room last year. Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield, even though they, these guys didn't bring them in, they did not fit into that locker room or what they wanted. I think that's true. Eugene. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Eugene. Hey, what's going on? Um, some of the stuff you said, oh, the Browns have got some real smart um, personnel. Who on the Browns is smart? Because look at their fans. Their fans are dumb because they just follow that team like a blind people. They uh, if their focal point wasn't winning last year, what is it this year? What's the focal? I want to win. I'm 62 years old. I want to see a Super Bowl before I die. There's time. You're are you a young 62 or are you a young 62 or you an old 62? I'm a young 62. Oh, see, that's what we like to hear. You got plenty of time, Eugene. Oh, I do. Yeah, well, we don't. We don't. 60, we don't know. 62 is the new 41. I've been saying that for a while, buddy. Oh, okay, but they they're just. They're horrible. I, they've been the worst franchise like in the last 12 years. What, I don't know what Brown fan wants. I want a winning. It'd be good for at least four or five years. So I, I think they ruin Sundays for me. So I'd I, rather watch my grass grow. I don't know. Your grass is pretty damn boring, Eugene. We, we appreciate the call. I, it's so weird because anytime somebody says, oh, they've been the worst organization in football the last 12 years, I do feel the need to point out that as as bleak as the last two years are, it's not even a quarter of as bleak mm -hmm. as one in fifteen or one thirty one uh, one thirty and one was. I get it. It's not been what we've wanted. The, the Browns right now are a mid franchise. Five years ago, the Browns were one of the no. The Browns were the worst organization in sports, and at the very least, they they were the worst organization in the NFL. I'm not setting a high bar here, but I just, to Eugene saying, ah, they never get anything right. Well, they did actually have a playoff win here recently. They did actually. I mean, 15 wins is better than, you know, 15 wins in two seasons is better than one win in two seasons. Now I'm becoming a Browns apologist again. 1-31 was a tough spell. That was honestly, like, I don't know how we made it. I was listening. I can't remember. And Angelo, bring it to you in a second, buddy. Sorry, I popped you back on hold there. I... The fact that that didn't break the throngs of people going down to First Energy Stadium, because even if you stopped going, the second the Browns were in the playoffs, hunt, the second they were good in 2000, <clears throat> and no, the second you got hope when the Browns finished 2018 with a, the winning streak, we were back into it. The fact that that didn't break the will of Browns fans still impresses the hell out of me. Angelo, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Hey, how you doing, fellas? Uh, you brought up something that was uh, interesting to me, and I always want to answer this question. I know you can't. This is for Kevin Stefanski. Uh, uh, why would you? Why would you? If you have a, a quarterback who's better out the pocket, why wouldn't you play uh, dive? I'm not taking nothing away <clears throat> away from Jacoby. He was a good quarterback. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to fit him in your system. Dives was not that. Dives played more like Deshaun. Am I supposed to do with his neck? Angelo? Just, 
Angela, I think that's, Angela, I think that's a, a great. Yeah, fantastic. It's really great uh, point there. Um, I didn't realize today was going to be the day that we got the boomerang Josh Dobbs love. Like, I really, I just remember when Josh Dobbs played reasonably well for Tennessee, how that went. Uh, 411 yards and two touchdowns and two interceptions. All right, I think the real question is, I do want to know how we pick out backup quarterbacks in the NFL. You hear what uh, the Steelers said the other day? I did not. We're excited uh, for Mitchell Trubisky to be with us in the future. They're going to pay that dude $8 million to sit under the bench next year. And and Mitchell Trubisky now has it made. He was a successful backup in Buffalo, and now he's a successful backup in Pittsburgh. And once you're a successful backup, they can't take that from you. Because that's different from a failed starting quarterback. Like, Baker, until proven otherwise, is a failed starting quarterback. Um, and that, Sorry, that's the perception on him around the league. Jacoby, successful backup quarterback. Although now he's in danger of getting a starting spot and going back to being a failed starting quarterback. I'd rather be a successful backup quarterback than a failed starting quarterback. Because I think the the first one pays better, has better long-term success. Give me the Chad Henney life plan over the Josh McCown, failed starter, uh, you know, good backup, the the dance that he did for like 10 years in the NFL. I don't know. I'll take Carson Wentz's paycheck. Well, no, but see, the point is, it's after you fail the first time, then you vacillate between one of those two things. Although, I don't know. I think people forget. Carson Wentz don't forget. in Philly. No, people forgot this. Carson Wentz took as much of an ass-kicking as any quarterback has in the last 20 years. And then he went to, and then they broke him, and then they were like, ah, this thing sucks. We got to get rid of him. And then Indianapolis was like, ah, this thing sucks. We got to get rid of him. And now Washington is like, this thing sucks. It's broken. We got to get rid of him. The life of a backup quarterback. It used to be... It's a good life. It used to be teach your son how to throw left-handed. Now, teach your son how to grow up to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. Tis the life. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.